Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hello, you're listening to the Innovate for Impact podcast. I'm Dan Bentley. Tracy Newman's here as well. We're ready to get into it. Trace, uh, what are we going to talk to the lovely people about today? Well, I'm not going to say that I'm really excited about this one because apparently I say that every week. So, I'm not really excited to say uh, that today we're talking all about engaging with people in a meaningful way as opposed to just ticking the box or doing that kind of token activity. Yeah, it's a good one. I am excited about it though, just in case you're not. But uh, uh, I think this is a good one. It's something that we talk a lot about in our work, but haven't covered on the podcast in this way before. So, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Hey, before we do get into it, just like to do an acknowledgement of country. uh, And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we meet today. I'm based just outside of Melbourne. So, I'm on the lands of the Boonarong people of the Kulin Nations. And I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And because I'm in Adelaide, I'd like to acknowledge the Guyana as custodians of the Adelaide region and pay my respects also. All right, let's uh, let's get into it. So, where do we start here, Trace? A good place to start is, I guess, talking about some of the things that we're seeing at the moment in the course of our work. So, as we know, and as most of our listeners would be well aware of, co-design and engagement are really being talked about a lot and they're being promoted and there's been that real shift towards that. But sometimes I think alongside that, there can be that sort of risk of, well, now we need to do this thing. So, you know, what's the minimum that we need to do to tick the box and actually get on with working the way that we're used to working because we're all so much more comfortable with that? Yeah, it's coming up a lot. And I actually did a talk about this in Sydney a couple of weeks ago with some some aged care innovators out there and they're feeling this in that space. People are you know, being told from the government essentially around this, this is what we're, we need to see now is we need to see you engaging. We need to have engagement groups set up. We need to see you know, services that are being co-designed. We need to see experiences that are being co-designed and people need to have the ability to make decisions for themselves and, that, and those sorts of things. And so, yeah, like you just sort of said, Trace, when these sorts of things happen, it, there's a real risk people tick the box. We're also just seeing it in just general funding. Quite often now with um, you know, grants and just applications for funding, we're starting to now see there's a requirement for proof of collaboration. And because we know this stuff works, but yeah, like you said, this is a, it's a risk now that because it is a bit of a buzzword and because it is becoming something that people are being told to do, that people aren't always doing it in an authentic way. And when you don't do this in an authentic way, we're sort of talking a bit about this before we jumped on the podcast is that this is not just like getting, asking someone to give you 50 push-ups. You can't just smash this out. This is work with groups of people from all different types of backgrounds and experiences, and you're trying to get them to work together to come up with new solutions and to understand each other's perspectives. It's not something you can just smash out. It's not something that you can just tick a box on. It's very human. It's very collaborative. It's very loose and creative and it, and, and it requires things like trust and to be a little bit clever as well to make sure that things like power is, is equal in the room. So, it's, yeah, like I said, you can't just tick a box on this because if you do, it doesn't work. You do need to be a little bit thoughtful in how you do this for it to work well. 
And I think we're actually seeing a little bit of pushback from some communities as well. Like I know when doing work with young people particularly, you really need to, I guess, frame up the why and how their information is going to be used before they're even willing to participate in a conversation because they're very attuned to people asking them for their feedback or people asking them for their opinions but not really listening. And, you know, that's the last thing that we want to create within the communities that we're working with. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the ways that we see this playing out. Yeah. I think the the first way is really where people set up these activities or these co-design or consultations or whatever, but they have such strict parameters that there's no way to make anything any different. So it doesn't really allow for people to bring in new ideas and, and new perspectives because it's also there's so many sort of tight parameters around what you're going to deliver, when, what it looks like, what people are expecting, how you're going to measure success. All of that has kind of already been set and decided before you even begin. And again, you mentioned grants before. Sometimes we're still at that phase where funders and people who are managing grants want to know exactly what you're going to do with that grant and what the outcomes are going to be. So often in the process of of applying for that grant, all of those parameters have been set. And so therefore, there's not really a great space for that authentic co-design. We often get people contacting us saying, we've won a grant, we want you to help us, but it needs to be this thing that you create. Sometimes they were like sort of specific enough that it has to be a piece of media and that's okay. You can kind of work with that, but sometimes they're like, it's a poster and it's got these things on it or, you know, it's a service and it looks like this. That can be a really a tricky situation for us to add value on that. And probably even if you did this internally yourself, being if you were given this piece of work as a practitioner, it's going to be pretty hard for you to truly co-design something that is that specific. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good one. I think another one that we see too that sometimes the activities, so, you know, you sort of set up a series of engagements but you're like, oh, we've only got like an hour to spend with people or something like that or just anything that's a short amount of time and so people try and cram way too much stuff in to those engagements so that you're just sort of like moving through at this ridiculous pace that doesn't allow people to really build relationships and build that trust and build that group understanding. You're sort of just engaging at a really quick rate with a bunch of people, getting them to jump through a series of hoops. And then at the end, you're like, thank you so much. We'll be in contact. It's been great. See ya. And these people are just sitting there with their head spinning going, what the hell was that? Did I just get (laughs) co-designed? And look, I guess the other thing that we see that plays into this as well is that where people are being told more and more that they need to co-design and, you know, I think a great example of that is the outcomes of Royal Commission. So there's been two Royal Commissions that were very specific about the need to co-design activities. And so, of course, you then have organisations that have been given a mandate and they're like, all right, well, let's just do this without necessarily understanding exactly what it is and how to do it well, it really can sometimes just be, well, we have to do this, so just quickly go off and do that and then we'll get on with our business as usual. So it's sort of that just tick a box. And sometimes it even is like if we do this, we can call that co-design, right? (laughs) So maybe I'll just ask my mum what she thinks and then we can say we co-designed it with older people. 
Yeah, I mean, my mind is going to aged care, and I'm sorry to pick on aged care, you guys. There is a number of organisations doing some great work in this, so please don't take it the wrong way. But we have heard some pretty big horror stories around this in that space, and some of them not even doing anything different, but just calling it co-design or consultation and not actually doing anything and just sort of hoping this stuff's going to blow over and they can get away with it. There's a bit of that. That's one end of the spectrum. There's other people as well just sort of doing what you said too, Trace, where it's like they do something slightly different. And one example that I heard the other day was people now co-designing. I'm doing the bunny ears sort of thing here. You can't see if you're listening to the podcast version. Co-designing with the people's families rather than having any sort of decision-making being shared with the person. And it's like, okay, that's kind of still what you were doing before, which is what has been sort of said, hey, that's not good from (laughs) the Royal Commission. So, you know, it's not sharing decision-making with the person. It's not empowering the person that's using the service that you're providing. It's actually just doing more of the same but changing the name of it and maybe speaking to someone different but still not the right thing to do. So, another thing as well is that this one really pisses me off. (laughs) When somebody comes along and says, hey, like I have an idea basically and what we want you to do is to involve a bunch of people in a co-design project and basically reverse engineer this thing. And if that didn't make sense, I guess what I'm saying is is that they already have an idea and they're so committed to that idea in their own head that they just say, can you go and get a group of people to basically tell us why this is a good idea? We we just don't do that. It's not the spirit of what we're trying to do here. And that person is not always aware of that's what they're trying to do. So, obviously, be a bit soft with it and sort of ask questions and, and try and guide them towards a better solution. But, yeah, that's that's just the old way of working, trying to use a new contemporary method to disguise how you would like to work in the old days. And look, I get it. You know, sometimes we have great ideas and we're really attached to them and they seem like they're going to be fantastic. But I promise you, if you let go of your idea and focus on the problem, the best ideas will surface and ultimately we all want the same thing, which is to deliver the most impact possible. So be prepared to fall in love with your problem and and not your solution. And I guess that's part of the other thing that we see as well, and this tends to happen more internally than in our space as consultants, but it's basically where you have somebody that will delegate a co-design project to somebody. So that person has responsibility for you know, creating something new, but alongside that they have zero ability to actually create something and implement it. It's like giving somebody a co-design project, but you're not handing over any control. You're asking them to share power, but you're not giving them any power to share. And there's no sort of co-decision making because even the people who are running that project have no ability to make any decisions. So they've got to continually then go back to somebody outside of that to get permission for absolutely everything. And again, that really stifles the purpose of why you're getting people together. Yeah. And, and what we see that looking like is they they might run a series of workshops or some sort of engagement and they come back to this stakeholder who's handed them this project. They go, nah, nah, I don't think we'll do that. Or, ah, yeah, that's not bad, but we'll change this thing. And they, they veto and they yeah edit things. That's what that can look like in real life. It's getting me worked up. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. 
visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. Let's get into constructive space. We've talked about mm-hmm. some of the, the challenges that we see in this space, but what are some tips around if you are somebody that really wants to do authentic co-design and you're working in an organization or even you might even just have other peers alongside you in your organization who aren't as on board and maybe are heading down this road of box ticking and running sort of tokenistic type activities, what can people do to, to try and make sure they actually do a good job? The first place to start, I believe, is with yourself. So the first thing you want to do is understand your own intent, but then to build on to that a little bit more, you also want to understand, well, what's the intent of this piece of work overall? But first of all, like, why am I the right person for this work? What it, What is it that I am looking to do here? So if you're going in with a, a desire to look good and to create something shiny that's going to be amazing and that's the only intent that you have, then that's going to get in the way of you truly listening to people and really being able to create the space where they're able to be creative and to collaborate and, and take this conversation in the direction that it needs to go. So the first thing is understanding yourself, but then you want to take it a little bit more broadly than that and consider with this piece of work, what's the intent of this work? Is this a genuine desire to collaborate or is this a shortcut to a solution that we've already decided? So I think the first thing is just doing that assessment. Yeah, I agree, especially with the last couple of scenarios we spoke about where there's maybe like a leader or or some sort of a stakeholder that you don't think their intent is pure in, a, in its way of why they're doing this, I think that's a really good starting point is just to question that person around why, why are we doing this? Why have you chosen for us to do this at this way? And I think if you can sometimes go down that path with that person, you can start to realize or help them realize as well what that is and then start having a discussion around, well, is that really the right thing to do in this way? And you know, potentially waste a bunch of people's time if that's what we're trying to do at the end of the day. So, yeah, or hopefully you can get them to to think about how they could do that differently and, and change that intent around what they actually want to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, the next one is don't take on more than you can handle. Sometimes people will go, all right, I need to do this project. I'm going to do this massive thing the first time ever. And they, at the end of the day, just get overwhelmed and they end up sometimes ticking a box just to be able to get through the work, even though they might have had that pure intent based on the last tip they may actually end up just ticking the box because the workload is just so big that they don't actually execute it in the way they would have liked to have. Yeah, and I think it's it's about like the logistics, like the size of work, but also the capability as well. So this is a learning process. If this is the first time that you've ever done it, don't expect to take on the most challenging and complex and nuanced issues. Maybe start with something a bit smaller. And sort of start with your capability and build your capability rather than kind of trying to go straight to kind of an advanced level and end up being overwhelmed in terms of what you know to do and and how comfortable you are having those really important conversations. Yeah. And if you don't have the luxury of that, like say such as you've been handed a project, get help, get someone to come in and help you who does have that capability or who does have that capacity to be able to deliver on a project that big. Don't try and drown in it because like Tracy just sort of said, it's not going to kind of work out. I think one of the other things that we see makes a really big difference is taking the time before you start 
to consider what this is going to look like from the participant's perspective. So really just step inside their shoes and consider, well, what do they need? What are they looking to get out of this engagement? What's their intent? What would make it meaningful for them? Because I think when you spend time considering, well, what does somebody else need for this to be meaningful and for this to really make a difference, it's very hard then to sort of slip back into the ticker box mentality because you've built up that understanding. And I think that's one of the best ways to really encourage that mind shift. And I think Doing that collaboratively with some of the other people that you want to have involved, like this is a great way of moving somebody else's intent as well as your own because, again, they get to understand what it feels like to be a participant and they can expand their thinking in that way as well. Yeah. Uh, Another one is to allow more time than you think it's going to take. So, one of the things that we've learned from facilitating you know, lots and lots of these types of activities is that you never know how it's going to go and you've got to be extremely flexible in your approach. You may have thought of a whole heap of different things that you think in your mind, oh, this is going to go amazing on the day, but if it doesn't matter, the most experienced practitioner still needs to have an element of flexibility because you just don't know until you get started what the needs of the people are going to be. So you do need to have that. And obviously, if that does happen, it's going to take you a little bit more time. Also, sometimes you can just get into the absolute most amazing discussions. And if you're running on a tight time frame, you don't want to be shutting those down. So always take that little bit of extra time on top of what you think it's going to take. And if it doesn't, great. People can go home a bit earlier. But the more time you give people, you can really sort of create that space that we spoke about at the start where it's like you're not just making people jump through a series of hoops. You can really truly sort of have that room collaborating and getting to know each other and that it is important because, you know, building that trust does take time amongst the participants. And so allowing that space allows people to to feel that sort of at ease and yeah, move through it at a pace that's comfortable rather than a pace that's really rapid. Mm, I think just allowing time for those relationships to develop and that trust to build really is so vitally important. And the good news is, though, is that once that trust has developed and those relationships have developed, then quite often people can move through conversations a lot faster once that trust has been established. So, you know, through spending that extra time building those relationships can also be beneficial throughout the course of your co-design as well. The last thing that I would want to give as a a really important tip is to just be really mindful that you are facilitating, not contributing. When we're dealing with something that we have a lot of investment in, it's so very easy to influence the conversation, but that influence then gets in the way of people really contributing in a way that's, that's meaningful for them and bringing their unique and diverse perspectives. So that can be really subtle. It could be something just as small as when you're sticking post-it notes on the wall. If you're sticking them all up and you stick some higher than than others, that can send an indicator to people like, oh, well, you know, you think that idea is more important. There's really easy ways to get around that, get people to put their own post-it notes on the wall. Then they get to decide where they go. So it's about just being really mindful and stepping back so that you're facilitating the conversation, not trying to participate in the conversation because you just have too much influence and you'll lead the conversation in that way. Yeah. And this is another one of those ones where it can be good to get some external help because people like us, consultants, we don't 
often have a vested interest in what's coming out of this. We just purely want to use our experience to help the group get to where the group wants to get to, I guess. So that can be a real benefit. And we often hear from people when we do that type of work that they just loved it because they could actually just observe and they could just soak it all in and just understand what's going on rather than being so busy trying to think, oh, what do I do next? And is this going well? Are those people all right? You know, and, and all those sorts of things. So that can also really help with that. We've just given you a bunch of different ways that this can play out in this sector. And we've also sort of given you a few different tips on what you can do to make sure that you are not just ticking boxes, that you are truly having like a shared decision-making type experience with the stakeholders that you've invited to co-create something together. So, hope you enjoyed that one. Trace, as always, been a pleasure and we'll see you all on our next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.